Join Hear the Watchmen this April 5th through 8th in Dallas, where you'll get to meet and listen to people like David Hebner, Tracy Tennant, Jamie Walden, David Paxton, and Derek Gilbert, as well as so many others that will help you on your spiritual journey as we look at the prophetic signs in the heavenlies. You will leave feeling more equipped and empowered, ready to face this world's future challenges with a strong faith and spiritual truth. Starting February 16th, you can get $20 off in-person tickets when you use the code DIGBIBLE, all one word. If you can't make it in person, there'll be a live stream on-demand option that using the same code, you can get a $10 off discount. If you do make it in person, look us up. We'd love to meet you. We are a community, and just like it says in Matthew 18.20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Together with God, we can do amazing things in his name can't wait to see you there and keep on digging This is Timothy Albrino. Hey, this is Trey Smith. My name is Elliot Marzulli. This is Dr. Judd Burke. This is Ryan Peterson. If you want to know your Bible, you have to dig, and you're in the right place. This is the Dig Bible Podcast. Hey, what's going on, all my local guys and gals and long-distance pals? We're back. We're back without being... <laughs> well, we're missing him. We always miss Ben when he's not here. You got to do it again. You got to do the Ben voice. We're back. We're back. That's I can't get as deep as Ben. <laughs> Being but, our uh, neighborhood uh, friendly Sasquatch, I, he's here in in heart, right here. Mm-hmm. But well, t- today, guys, we got a uh, another banging episode for you guys, and uh, it's a it's a returning guest. If you guys remember, uh, what was it two twenty two? We had a guy named Rick Hasty. And we had a talk on biblical worldview. Well, we have Rick back, and we actually have his daughter Waverly with us. And uh, they actually have written a book together. And we wanted to have them on and talk about this book because we think the, it's not only a great story, it's got a great message, and it's relevant to the times that we're in today. So uh, I'd just like to introduce to the show Rick and Waverly. So uh, guys, just... Uh, for our new listeners that's not familiar with you, just kind of introduce yourself, uh, likes, dislikes, background. Just give us a feel for who you guys are. Um, I'll go first. I'm Waverly Cowart. I live in the North Georgia mountains, about 45 minutes from Atlanta. I've been married nine and a half years. Um, we have three amazing children, one seven-year-old son, um, a four-year-old daughter, and a one-year-old daughter. She just turned one. And uh, by trade, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but taking some extended time off to mother and to homeschool and raise our children. So um, that also allows me to edit some books on the side and do podcasts. So couldn't, couldn't do it without my husband, that's for sure. So shout out to, shout out to him. Well, I'm the same guy that was hanging out with you uh, a year or so ago. Justin and and Steve, and uh, I know I know we miss Ben, so we'll give a shout out to Ben there too. But um, in any case, uh, I uh, 
Uh, I live in Charlotte um, part of the time and then live in Virginia uh, up in the Tri-Cities area near Justin and, and Steve. That's how we got to know each other a little bit. Um, I've been doing management consulting for many, many years. And uh, and and yet in the midst of all of that, somehow or another, God gave me a uh, heart many years ago to get um, focused on apologetics and what it was like to defend our faith, um, not in academic settings so much as in the everyday life settings where people are struggling, um, they've got doubts, and and I would say it's just as important for believers to keep questioning um, truth and getting it right. Um, it's okay to question truth. And so as I learned that many years ago, I just recognized that I wanted to know more and more about who God is and and not be fooled by the things that people say he is, but rather actually just not know about him either, but know him. So um, any that's been my journey over the years. Well, That's awesome. The, well, with the book, it, uh, the title is In Searching for Proof and Faith. So with this book, uh, what what is this? Give us a breakdown of the premise of the book. Uh, what, what is it about and how it came about? Um, well, I... I attended uh, for undergrad. I attended the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and I took a New Testament class my sophomore year um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Bart Ehrman is his name. And after growing up in a Christian home, attending church my whole life, I did not expect, silly me maybe, but I did not expect to take a New Testament class from a professor who did not believe it to be true, like at all. Um, and so I had, you know, several classes in, I would call my dad and begin to have these conversations about what he was talking about, the pushback he was giving, some quote unquote errors he was presenting. And my dad would flesh it out with me. Um, we would kind of wrestle with these questions that came up and I would get off the phone and talk it out with some of my peers. Cause I did have believing peers. Actually, I, I took the class with a couple of fellow young life leaders. And so I was able to kind of flesh it out with, with peers myself who knew and believed the gospel to be true. And so it was just the first time I had really been presented with, um, someone who was very smart, very intelligent, and yet, he, I mean, he was teaching a New Testament class and did not believe the New Testament to be true. So that was kind of astounding to me. And an interruption to my smooth sailing faith, if you will. So it was, uh, it was quite an experience. So, and I'll, and I'll let my dad share some of his side of that too. Sort of along those same time frames, my youngest son, um, who was now a senior in high school or almost a senior in high school when kind of this first started, uh, I realized that the time was coming to an end with him. And, uh, and so I really wanted to try to encourage 
him to be doing Bible study regularly. And uh, and so I approached him and a couple of his buddies and said, hey, what would you guys, would you guys like to do a Bible study? And uh, they said, well, let us think about it. And they thought about it and came back and said, nah, you know, we're, we're, we go to church. One of them actually didn't, but, uh, but we go to church and, you know, we go to Young Life and that, we kind of think we kind of get enough Bible that way. And so <clears throat> I had a little bit of a crazy idea. And, I, and so I suggested to them, well, well, what if we did a Bible study and we didn't use the Bible? And they, as you can imagine, looked at me like I deserved, um, like I had a couple of nuts loose. And, uh, so, and but yet they came back and said, well, if we could do a Bible study without the Bible, we're in. And what would that look like? And so what I suggested to them was, uh, I'll tell you what, you come up with a question um, and we'll answer that question next week and we won't use the Bible. So we spent a year and almost a year and a half um, with a group of kids who grew to about uh, probably a total of 10, 12, 15 kids that would rotate and be, you know, eight or 10 each Friday morning at 6.30 a.m. <laughs> and uh, and they would ask a question, you know, like, uh, is God good? Um, because I see a whole lot of evil in the world. Um, and a whole variety of questions around dating or around homosexuality or uh, around all the issues that were important to them. And so each of uh, each week, they would ask a question one week, and then the next week I would come in with some answers or some books or various things, come in with a lot of questions for them too. Um, and so pretty much we'd spend most of the time just looking at what science or philosophy or life experience or whatever um, would tell you in answer to those questions. And then I'd always say, would you be interested in hearing what the Bible has to say? And what was very obvious to them and, and frankly, first to me was how the Bible is a shortcut. If you want to know the real answer, you can get it pretty quickly through the scriptures, but you don't have to have the scriptures. Because uh, the truth that is God's made evident, back to Romans 119, all around us will give you answers to those same, every one of those same questions. Uh, you don't have to have a Bible. And as most of us know, for eons, there was no Bible. <laughs> but God was showing himself every single day. So fast forward to the next year, um, Waverly and I started putting this material together and decided that there was a story to tell without using all the academic um, approaches. And we didn't think that high schoolers um, would actually read much of an academic book, but they might read a good story. So that's how we kind of settled on that format. That is, that is awesome. So I, the way I look at this is we all go through life. We're all going to make uh, you know, decisions that are either good, bad, indifferent at times. But when we're at that cusp where we are going through that maybe late middle school, high school into early college, like you're talking about Waverly, is we see that we're forming our identity of who we are at that time. Our, you know, and 
at my, for me personally, I didn't want anything to do with God at that point in my life. I had absolutely nothing. And it took a kind of amazing thing for me to kind of jump back and to, and to want God in my life. But not everybody is so lucky. We have to have people around us that are helping us form those opinions and, and bringing us uh, and keeping that, that identity to our life, because you have a choice. You can either identify with Christ or you can identify with the world. And that's the time when most people make those biggest decisions and, and make some of the biggest mistakes that alter their life. So you guys are, with what you're saying, you're attacking right at the right, and I say attacking, you know what I mean, but you're attacking right at the right level that is so underserved in our world today because of the, the worldly views and the things that they're impressed with around them. Social media is the devil. I mean, we, we try to use it for good, but it is after our kids. It is after our kids. And that's, it's just awesome that you guys found that hole and, and, and made that niche for those kids. I just think that's a, a, a powerful way and, and you're hitting the right demographic. Cause I mean, I had a hunch that this was based off of a, uh, a true account of some sort because it, it just sounded too personal and yeah, I, I personally read this and I really enjoyed this. And I even told them, you know, pre-roll that after I'd finished it, I'd give it to my teenage daughter to read because I just knew that she would really enjoy it. And there was lots of stuff in there that would identify with her and prepare her and arm her with, with, with truth. And so, but yeah, but as I was reading that, I was just like, well, either this is somebody you know, Rick or Waverly knows a uh, grandchild, you know, or, or something, because it was just, it was very personable, very relatable. You know, it seemed very real. Well, I, I, it is very real. I think both of our experiences are, are weaved in, in there. Um, but not, not just my dad's and mine. I think that the experience the main character goes through Harper, she, she is a similar character to many, many um, men and women um, who have grown up with Christian parents who attend church, but have never really wrestled with their faith. Like, what does it mean to believe that God is good? Because they've maybe never had any tragedy happen to them. They've kind of maybe stayed in a small town bubble or maybe not even a small town, but they have attended a private school their whole life or they have had the same group of friends their whole life. Um, and and so you're really when you get to college for many people, um, that's the first time you're experiencing life on your own. And so with that comes um, a wrestling of who am I apart from my family, apart from my hometown, apart from my group of friends I grew up with. Um, and so you, that can be a time where you're a sponge, you're kind of absorbing the thoughts and ideals and philosophies of your peers, your new peers, or your professors, or even, uh, your youth group leaders, or, you know, whatever it is you're involved in, um, political groups, sororities or fraternities, uh, your, your club soccer team, whatever you're involved in, in college, you're absorbing kind of these new experiences. And so how does that 
influence you. And if you're not really, if you don't really have a good foundation, your faith can really take some hits. Um, and especially if you don't have people, I mean, I, I feel very blessed that I had my dad, but um, a lot of people don't, um, have somebody that they can really go to and say, Ugh, I'm really having this thought. I mean, somebody came to me with some really good questions and I don't know the answers. And I, th I thought I would, um, I thought I knew that God was good, but they had a really, really good argument for that. And I had nothing to say. So, um, that was really kind of our heart in it, um, was to be able to really flesh out these conversations, maybe for, maybe for college kids, but I think it's the earlier in, in middle school, uh, early high school. So you have the time to really have those good conversations with your, with your students or with your, um, children, I think is, is ideal. So, yeah. It's, I think it's really cool. And you look at that the same way I kind of hit it a little bit already, but a lot of time we focus so much on who can we reach out there with the gospel. And, and that's a really important thing. The great commission is amazing. But if you look at the majority of the new Testament, it's not about reaching out to everybody. It's about Paul's writing letter and letter and letter again, trying to strengthen the people that are already in the church. We're not, the church itself continues to need to be fed. Once you're in the church, once you're a believer in Christ, you still need to be fed every day. You still need that, that to grow. You still need that, uh, that, that, the Christian, the Christian inner circle that helps keep you on the right path. If you stray away from that, and you were talking about that same thing with, um, I think about it, my wife always says this, she says, inner circle, outer circle, right? We have friends that are, are not Christian or that uh, maybe live a different lifestyle or do different things that maybe we don't agree with, but that's not our inner circle. Our inner circle is our believers, our, our people that keep us on the right track. We still want to witness to all those other people, but that's our outer circle. We're not letting them influence us. You know what I mean? And I think that's, it's just really important that we strengthen the believers in the church, especially the younger generation that's dealing with things that me and Justin didn't even have to deal with. Or, or, or you, Waverly, because you're even younger than both of us, I think. It's true. Um, I don't know how old you guys are, but I feel pretty old sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if you, it's not, I think if your inner circle is asking the questions, because you can have an inner circle of people who believe the same things that you do, but we all have different life experiences, right? Mm -hmm. So we are coming into the conversations, whatever those conversations look like, um, as far as what, you know, what we believe, like fleshing that out. And we all kind of have, uh, these, this background, this lived experience that influences that. And so it's, it's really good if you, if you have those inner circles of friends that you really kind of press into each other, you know, don't just be an echo chamber, but really say, you know, we're talking about, oh yes, God is so good. You know, why do we believe that God is so good? You know, what, what in our lives has pushed up against that and, and we're able to push back, you know, mm -hmm. with the truth. Um, because I think that is very real. Um, when you have tragedy in your life, when you 
somebody doesn't meet your expectations, lets you down when you have loss of relationship or, um, you know, whatever that might look like you, your, your faith, no matter how, how strong you thought it was when life was going really great. Um, you can begin to question no matter how long you've known the Lord. Um, I, I became a believer when I was young. Um, I think I was maybe five or six. Um, and so there wasn't much time of oh, six. <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't much time. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, but I, I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't come up against some really big obstacles to believing God was good. Um, in my college, in my young adult, um, even now in my thirties. So, um, you know, uh, searching for proof and faith, you know, at the end of the book, um, for those who read it, you know, we, we wanted to end with it's, it's going to be a lifelong journey. It is not about finding the answers and that being it. You say, I, I got the answer. I'm good. You know, I think, um, throughout our lives, a personal relationship with Jesus means that we are going to be asking questions and wrestling with our faith um, because that's living and breathing faith. Um, he doesn't want us to be these robots that just say, okay, we're believers and that's that. Um, he wants us to be engaged with the world and what's going on around us and, and always strengthening our faith. So, um, we hope people read the story and hope they get to the end of it. And even if they are believers, even if they, none of these answers are surprising to them. None of, none of the content of the book is surprising to them. We hope that they are at least encouraged that, um, it's, we hope that they grow in their faith their whole lives. So. And what I found impressive was it was, you know, the hero's journey. I mean, uh, when I read that, because it's like you start off in your comfort zone. You know, you're in your little, you know, in, in her instance of the, of the story, she's in her little small town church group of friends and family. And she, you know, takes the calling and goes off to college. And her faith, you know, is challenged. And she actually starts to doubt and, and ask the questions and where she had been in her comfortable bubble and not had nobody press on her. She didn't have the answers and was able to, you know, really defend her faith or really, or her faith had never really been under attack. And then you have that in these hero journey stories, but then usually following right after that is where, uh, what they call the, the supernatural aid comes, you know, the calling comes, you accept the calling, then there's some supernatural aid. And in this story, she gets a familiar face and a friend that gives her some aid and, uh, strengthens her and calls her back, you know, to, to her Christian roots. And, but w with this story, could you just, you know, touch on how, how it's relevant and how applicable in uh, young people's lives and how the importance of your inner circle, as we talked about, 
but also stepping out of your comfort zone and having difficult questions. And uh, was it that scripture you always mentioned, Steve? Uh, was it First Peter three fifteen? Mm-hmm. Always know. be able to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Yeah, I think um, uh, that uh, the audience for the book uh, is important. And so we wrote this, as you can already tell, for high schoolers. By the way, I think that age is maybe um, moved down into middle school today. I think certainly eighth and ninth graders are confronted with all of these um, challenges to their faith. Um, And so in that context, whether middle school, high school age, they're going to be exposed to a lot of people. Um, They may have been living in their bubble, might have been surrounded by their inner circle for lots of years, but they're soon going to be outside of that bubble. And so the question is, are you just going to, as a parent, are you just going to kind of throw them out there hoping that they make it? Or are you going to prepare them for the day in which they're going to? Bart Ehrman, by the way, is one of the most widely read, um, most called upon atheists in the world today. That was who Waverly had as a sophomore in college as her, quote unquote, New Testament professor. So fair warning here, Christian parents, that when you send your kid off to college, uh, then we can talk about both secular and Knox and parochial schools here for um, both, they're going to be confronted with with questions about their faith, maybe with very radical answers that will take them way, way far. So my question to parents is, are you willing to take the time to allow your kids to ask the questions and then gently guide them to the right answers? And if you don't, then you're going to be throwing them out to the faithless wolves. Um, And as the scriptures teach us, uh, our adversary, the devil, will send a pack of wolves out there to absolutely grab your children's faith uh, as they become young adults, especially. So in any case, long, long answer there to say that we want to equip both children and I would say equip their parents with a, a door to step into answering some of the deeper questions about their faith and about life in general. Parents should always be almost the first line of defense, but I think being intentional with who your children spend time with, because you have a say when they're in your home, you do have a say about who their inner circle. Um, have conversations with them about who their inner circle is. Have conversations about who they trust. and Maybe it's not you that they turn to, but do they have a wise small group leader? Do they have a wise teacher if they go to Christian school? Do they have an older peer? Maybe um, in middle school, there's a, you know, a middle school, high school peer type relationship um, program. If the inner circle of your child is extraordinarily important, pray for that. Pray when they're, for parents who are just starting out, I mean, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. I mean, I'm, I'm praying for their peers. I'm praying for their 
current friendships, future friendships, even their peers, parents, that the households that they grow up in and their experiences are, they're surrounded by wisdom and um, knowledge of the truth. So it's, it's incredibly important, in my opinion. Um, and, and it can be a lifelong setup, you know, who your child is friends with in their middle school, high school years might be a lifelong friend. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Steve. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree a hundred percent. you you talk about that, like, who do you go to, you know, when you're having a bad day? You know what I mean? When we're kids, our kids come to us. Our kids come and they, they you know, uh, will we'll say, oh, this kid was mean to me or this happened at school or whatever. As they get a little bit older, they go to their friends. But is that friend, that person that you're relying on, is that someone who's going to turn you towards the world or are they going to turn you back to Christ? So we have to always know, and that's, for me, like this podcast, just being part of this has been such a blessing because I can talk to Justin about this anytime I want. I can talk to Ben anytime I want. I have Christian friends that ground me and that all this has done is grow my faith because even as an adult, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm only 19, but even as an adult, like I still need my faith to be strengthened by the people around me. There are times, even in my adult life, without my wife being her, what she is with her faith, that I would have fallen away because something was hard or something hit me. And like you said, the struggles that we go through, if it wasn't for her, I would have fallen away. But because I had a wife with a phenomenal um, Christian up, uh, upbringing and, and found uh, foundation faith and that without her, I would, I might not be sitting here. So you're right. It's a lifelong process. It doesn't stop. So it is important. It is important. All those choices we make, who we, who we marry, you know, go back, who your friends are, all those things make a big difference in how your faith is going to grow over the years. But it does start. And like you said, Rick, it's starting younger and younger and younger now. I mean, and it's, the stuff that's happening when they have, they're putting litter boxes in bathrooms at schools. I, I can't, I just, I, I, I don't even know what to say. You, it's just crazy to me. So you're right. You guys, it's powerful, but you're going to have to write another one that speaks to like middle schoolers now. So you're going to have to go after that. Hey listeners, it's Nick from Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company. I want to invite you to try something new. Here at Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company, we have a bold and slow roasted coffee that is 100% organic and ethically sourced. There are no pesticides or fungicides from the plantations we import our coffee from, and it's all single source too. We have light, medium, and dark roast. Even decaf coffee as well to satisfy whatever kind of coffee you drink. We also have a variety of flavor coffees for you to try, including our hazelnut and apple pie flavor coffees, which are both big sellers. You can order our coffee at www.kevlarjoes.com. You can also follow us at Facebook, Instagram, or X for Kevlar Joe news, deals, and your daily dose of coffee-related memes. So make sure to like and follow our pages. And I'll leave you with this listener. 
the world isn't a safe place right now, and it seems like it's always teetering on the edge. But don't forget, like it says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. Let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So be bold, be humble, and be Kevlar. Great news is, I think, for um, kids and parents, and then I would say even college students, um, particularly those that might not have been confronted with some of these issues, is that what we've tried to do in our book is not just tell a story, but also provide resources. So there's nine chapters in the book, and they cover nine different myths that our kids um, and we are being uh, sold every day by the media around us, by, uh, um, by frankly, just everyday conversations that accept things like evolution or accept things like uh, there is no God or et cetera. And especially today, try to push the LBGTQ uh, agenda. Don't be fooled. I mean, we're being bombarded every single day. So are there answers so while our story addresses those uh, myths, uh, at the same time, at the end of every chapter, we we give a plethora of resources for uh, people to dig deeper. And I would say, you know, for us, it, it it certainly is a is a goal of ours that you might give your high schooler a book that maybe they read, maybe they don't read, but they keep. Um, so that as those questions arise, they maybe go to a chapter to find answers or maybe go to the end of the chapter and find a long list of books, podcasts, websites, um, all of which would lead them, uh, YouTube videos, all of which would lead them to um, find out more and find out truthful answers, not just hypotheses, that are being presented as fact. I love that you say hypotheses because I, I can't stand when they say the theory of evolution because a theory means that you've been able to replicate it to some degree. And yes, yes, the dig gets a mention. You bet it does. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. I, you know, I, I didn't know if it would be uh, crass to, 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 to take a victory lap, but I was like, well, yes, thank you, Rick. We are now publicized. <laughs> Three rednecks in a garage are publicized now. <laughs> well, as I was saying, you're, you, you've been publicized by a lot more than me, I know. But uh, the, your long list of of, um, of podcast uh, participants have been so impressive over the last couple of years. You guys have done an amazing job. So how could we leave you out? Yeah. Well, that was all God there. We We just asked, and God put it on their heart for them to say yes. So... We'll show up and talk. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, I had a, a two-part question for you. Uh, one, uh, Waverly, with you put in that position, and I know Rick well enough to know that you were in a, a Christian household and you were, you know, painting with a broad brush, but you were well-equipped. But you being put in that position that you were in, how did that make you feel? Did did you ever have any moments where you may have doubted your faith or 
uh, felt just under attack? I mean, how how did you feel being put in that position? And then uh, when you're done, Rick, uh, I think it's important too to speak uh, on the basis of apologetics because the friend in this story done such a good job. If she would have handled this situation differently, she wouldn't have been able to change her friend's mind. And I know those classes that we did, you talked about, you know, basically a, apologetics is not the art of arguing and winning arguments. It's about relationship. So for the people that are listening and they have that friend that is either a not a non-believer or questioning their faith, maybe you could just touch on that a little bit to equip those people to handle those situations. I think that would be really uh, important. I would be remiss to not acknowledge that my college years, I was not always as strong in my faith as I was growing up. I think some of that is a very normal thing. If I could, if I could encourage every parent developmentally, every child is going to go through a season. Maybe that's a couple months, maybe that's a couple years where your child is going to be trying to figure out who they are in the world and what that looks like. And they're going to be trying on all sorts of identities. Um, And that may be really painful and really difficult to watch. It may be, it may be just a blip. Um, But for me, I think even though my faith was not as strong, I had such a good solid foundation of truth who prayed for me, prayed with me, who asked hard questions, who were not afraid of confrontation when I was living at high school and kind of not living um, out of my faith. Um, and the world influenced who I was, but they didn't shy away from asking those hard questions. And I would just encourage like that had such a huge influence when that happened in high school, that had such a huge influence on me in college because they were still asking hard questions, but I wasn't under their roof. And so, um, gosh, the Lord never let go of me. I, I never praised Jesus. I, I don't think there was a single day in which I did not believe in the truth of scripture. I did not believe that God wasn't real. I did not believe that, um, you know, uh, that God didn't create the earth or, you know, whatever questions I was kind of hit with, um, praise Jesus that I always now did, did my life look exactly like I was living out of faith and truth? No. Um, because I just had such a good foundation that I know in my heart, I'd never walked away from the gospel. So if that makes sense, um, you have to acknowledge where there are seasons in which your faith is not as strong. But again, I, I just had a really good childhood, a really great adolescence, a really great beginning of my teenage years with parents that were very involved in my life. I had amazing small group leaders 
starting from middle school years of women who loved me, who spoke truth to me. My parents attended a church where the gospel was preached and preached clearly. Um, so um, I hope I hope I answered what you were kind of getting after, but um, I, I think it's important as, as faith, and now that I'm a parent, I, I hope that when I get to the teenage years that I also allow my child to wrestle, but the wrestling is really important because then at the end of it, their faith really becomes their own. You know, you're investing in your child. You're praying for your child. You're speaking truth. We're, we're doing catechism with my seven-year-old memorizing catechism. You're trying to input as much gospel truth into their life as you possibly can. But it's not going to be probably until his teenage years and maybe early adulthood in which he solidifies that for himself. And I'm going to have, well, I have nothing to do with it anyway. It's all, it's all Christ, um, whether and when those seeds get planted and sprout and grow. But um, I don't want my faith to be his faith. I want his faith to be his own. I want it him to be rock solid and know Christ to know the truth of the gospel because he believes it to be true, not because I told him it was. So, um, yeah, I just did an encouragement for parents and just out of my own story. Um, those seasons of perhaps your child going off there, they can produce really great fruit. So, we know anybody that's got more than one child is that they're not all alike. And so not all of my kids were quite as um, passionate uh, around their faith as uh, Waverly was, I would say, pretty much through her college years, too. Not suggesting she was perfect, um, but uh, but I am suggesting that, you know, you got to deal with your children as they are, who they are. And so... Um, as you know, Justin, we wrote the original story back uh, 15 years ago, and then we rewrote it more recently and kind of updated it with a few things, including a chapter on the LGBTQ myths about Christianity. And um, so what I think what we're more sensitive to today, um, although this was the original story, is that defending your faith is... Uh, to others who would who would mock us uh, is not about arguments. Uh, it's about demonstrating truth first and foremost with our own um, demonstration of love. And so the story that we tell here is not about a person who gets offended because her former friend is now uh, openly uh, questioning her faith, but rather coming alongside of them. And I think that's just as true even with a stranger. And Justin, you remember when we were talking about uh, defending our faith together uh, a few years ago that, you know, we just really emphasize that as, as um, Steve is quoting in 1 Peter 3, that our our goal is to defend our faith with gentleness and reverence, um, not within your face arguments. 
Um, because I, I believe when we do attempt to come alongside of people and demonstrate love, that we're really just kind of planting um, seed into fertile soil so that the Holy Spirit might work. And so we hope that um, our character in this story is kind of setting an example of how to come alongside someone who's questioning their faith um, and then work through a process with them. Find out what really matters to them. Um, um, find out where they discovered these, um, what they think is true, which is more often than not really truly are just thick is just fiction. Um, and so, you know, we'd be remiss though to, to uh, not just mention the people that uh, have that that are are part of our bibliographies here, but. A big inspiration for us, even to write the book, was Norm Geisler. And uh, anybody who knows anything about apologetics knows that Norm Geisler is, is one of the foremost writers, more than 100 books on various topics around philosophy and logic and, and apologetics. Um, together with one of his, his um, key disciples, Frank Turek, who today is probably one of the best known uh, speakers, uh, debaters around apologetics. And then, you know, we borrowed from all kinds of people, not just quoting them in the book, but then having uh, their materials in the bi bibliographies, but people like Josh McDowell and even more recently his son today, Sean McDowell, more more um, uh, modern names like Abigail Schreier and Rebecca McLaughlin. These are people who've done tremendous work to help people formulate their ideas well. And yet every one of them, I think, that we name also have a humility about them that they recognize this isn't just about winning an argument. However, we do have the upper hand on the arguments. We, we serve the God of truth, the God who created all things and made them uh, in order that they might bring him glory and demonstrate who he is. And so I'd say in the midst of this, probably the greatest message to start with for me is um, is the most common theme that I hear oftentimes is, well, if God would just show himself. Well, he's been doing that um, from the beginning of time. And if we are just open to look, uh, we absolutely will see him. And if you're doing your job right, they'll see him through you, you know. And that's one thing that I just loved about that because it, I see it all the time, and, and I've been guilty of it myself. Uh, somebody that's strayed from their faith or they're not a believer to just disassociate, you know, or argue with them and they argue back, you know, you get angry and split, you know, I like how Dr. Phil always said, you know, uh, you can be right or you can be happy, but you can't have both. <laughs> so you got to ask yourself, you know, what's more important, you being right and being a right fighter or loving your neighbors, you love yourself and beating them where they're at and, uh, with gentle and kindness and asking the right questions. Cause in that story, it'd been very easy for this hometown girl to just see her apostate, you know, 
sister and just shun her and distance her and talk about her to her mama on the phone later that night, you know, but she didn't. How do we bring people closer to Christ if we just argue with them? If they see us and we, we come from a place of condemnation or judgment and, and we're telling them, oh, what you're, you're evil, what you're doing is wrong, you're doing these things. Ultimately, we aren't the ones that judge. There is but one judge, and there is one judgment, and it's at that white throne of judgment that's going to happen at the end of time. In the meantime, we are called upon. When Jesus, when Jesus was asked by the lawyer, which is the greatest of the commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and that everything else falls into place. It doesn't matter. Your neighbor is everybody. Love everybody. I don't care what love their lifestyle is. I don't care what their uh, their ideas are. If I come at somebody and, and, and treat them like they are a black sheep, guess what? That's going to only drive them further away from God. I need to show them love. I need to show them compassion and try to show them Christ through my actions. And that's what we're all called to do. I, I've, I, I do think we are living in a world um, where that love is, de- the definition is very tricky. And our definition of love as believers is not quite what the world says is love. Um, and I think, you know, going back to what you're saying to have an answer is really important, not in, not in order to argue, but, um, because it's really important to be clear about what the gospel says and not to allow the world to kind of muddy it down like sometimes gets thrown out you know jesus just loved people and uh well yeah he did he he really loved them he loved them enough to speak the truth to them he he loved them enough to to call them out of sin and call them to himself and to redeem them he loved them enough to die on the cross for their sins um and so I think it's really important um, these days to have clear definitions about what loving people looks like. Um, and, and, and to the Christian who goes off like our heroine, so to speak, um, our, the main character in our story, you know, she, she goes off and she's trying to figure it out. Um, you know, the, the girl who's older than her, Maya, who's kind of speaking into her, she's, she doesn't shy away from, from the truth. She, she calls her friend to wrestle, to engage. And she doesn't say, Oh, you're just, you know, you want to explore these new age ideas. You go right ahead. I'll just like, love you, you know, right on through that. You know, she really gently invites her into, Kind of calling her back to her faith. Um, Bless your pointy to- little head. I'll pray for you. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I just accept you exactly how you are. Which you know, in some ways, she does. She accepts where she is, but she she doesn't kind of let her stay there. You know, she gives her some pushback and helps her think things through all the way. So. That's that gentleness and respect. Yeah, that's right. I got a question for you guys. I'm just curious about this. I'm just 
think it out loud with you for a minute, but I think y'all will have a perspective on it, which is, 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 is Satan strategic? And by that, what I mean is, I've, uh, you know, we, we wrote this book 15 years ago, and now we just rewrote it. And so in between, a lot has happened. You know, our world has shifted at a rapid pace and I would say that uh, that Christianity is under siege in America today very, very differently. Not that Satan wasn't at work 25, 50, 100 years, 200 years ago, but it seems different to me. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you think Satan has changed his tactics? Oh, 100%. He's destroying us from the inside now. Now mm -hmm. you got uh, churches bringing, you know, cross-dressers and, and things into the, the, the quote-unquote church and reading to children and talking about love. They're even He's even taking, what you say, a new trick. It's an old trick. He was doing it back in Genesis, taking the Word of God, manipulating it to make Jacob and uh, some of these other characters, David, to seem like they were homosexuals and twisting the word of God. But it's, it's he's definitely changing everything and going into and infiltrating the church and trying to destroy it from the inside. In my opinion. I don't, I, I agree and disagree at the same time, but that's me and Justin like to do that a lot. Um, I'll say that that we see things, I think, a little bit differently, but I, I don't see today as any different than the way Rome was, how Rome fell apart, right? It turns, everything turns into debauchery and, you know, do what you want to do. And, and it was intermarrying and, and you're, you're losing your culture and everything starts going a different direction. We start seeing sin always being the center point of any culture that's about to crumble. And we're seeing Satan and we... Satan himself kind of what so for example, let's say this way. Look at Jesus when he's tempted in the desert, right? Or he's tempted first, you know, he takes him on top of the temple, you know, he goes up and says, um, you know, throw yourself down, angels will catch you. Or go to the the desert or the I'm sorry, the high mountain. He says, If you bow down, I'll give you all the kingdoms you can see. But at the very end of that, what, is, what does he say? What, what does it say in Scripture? It says, Satan departed until an opportune time. Guess what? As our society is degrading, the time never seems more opportune than right now. Things are falling apart. It says he, he walks around like a, like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. That is happening right now. That is all these little things that we're seeing come into our society and slowly disintegrate people's faith from the inside. And this is not just the, the, the non-Christian population. This is from within the church, like Justin's saying. This is happening all around us, and we're seeing the, the degradation of what we call the Christian church. And uh, the, the idea, the, the word Christian doesn't mean what we like to think it means sometimes, because how many people out there call them Christians, but never go to church? They call themselves that, or not even that they go to church, but they don't have that faith. If you look at the way I look at this is I, I always like to say, I, I, Paul had it the best way. 
I'm a big fan of Paul. He's top three guy that I'll look up when I get to heaven. But Paul, Paul is the best way he said it. When he's sitting there talking to, to um, it was Festus and then King Agrippa, right? He talks about, I am a follower of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says, I'm a follower of the way. And I think that's what we're, what we're getting into to now is all these other non-salvation issues and all these other things that start separating the church. It's pulling us apart. It's picking apart the church because we're focusing too much on these non-salvation issues. Any great military commander, what do they do? They divide and conquer. The church is more divided now than it's ever been. And we're falling and we're falling apart and we're seeing sects of what we would call the Christian church that I think have totally lost it. And we keep going down that path. Things are only going to get worse. And then that that idea of what is where is your salvation? Are you saved? Is this Are you it, baptized? It's it's well I've Did not you been speak in tongues. I've not been allowed to be parts members of certain churches I've been in because I wasn't baptized their way. Is that a salvation issue? No, it's not. If I'm not baptized the way that you're baptized, that's not what it says in the Bible. It's not by any work that I can do, right? It's by, it's by grace alone. It's by my faith in Jesus. It's not how I do something. It's not some ritual I go do. And that's where it, the church itself is really struggling. And the separation in the church is where I truly see Satan really working on us. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I'll digress. I, I get too fired Preach up on this on, topic. Brother. Preach on, no, brother. I, we, we really, I need to, and this is the thing, is I, I believe that we need to separate our non-salvation issues in the church. We need to set those aside. It's okay for us to not agree. Me and Justin definitely don't agree on a lot of things. We don't. But guess what? I love that guy, and I know he's going to heaven. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter. I can love him and not agree with him. And we don't agree on a lot of things, but the, ultimately the thing is, is what we the talked main about this thing, the other day. As you say, the main what thing. is the, the keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's your salvation. That's your belief in Jesus. That's your fact that he died for you past that. These other issues. Listen, I love diving into scripture. I think you know that, or I'll say digging, but we go through all this stuff. And that's really what our podcast is all about is we're taking the next step. We're diving in, taking it to the next level. We're trying to find things. And Justin pushes me. I mean, that guy, He's a brain and a half, and he pushes me to try to learn more and be better and, and, and really look into this, into God's Word and try to interpret these things. But in the end— And you push me I, spiritually, brother, so <laughs> iron sharpened an iron, definitely. But if I sit there and at the end of the day, I misinterpreted something in Revelations, I didn't say it right, and somebody else in church got it right, does it mean we're going to a different place? No, it's that separation— that separation that we are worried so much about is what's dividing us. It's dividing our church, and it's what we need to stay away from. We need to go back and focus on the main thing. Justin, I don't know. I might have to ask permission for this, but can I back it up? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. I'm sorry. I went too long. I, I, he I comes on our show, oh, no, no, no. and then no, he steals no, your no. line. <laughs> I'm sorry. I asked permission from you, Steve. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> uh, well, I just want to say that you know, hey, amen, Steve, to um, to what you were saying there. But uh, in this context, with this book, it is our hope that it would be a tool for parents, not just to buy and give to their kids, but to start a conversation with them, start a journey with them. 
as they kind of start to mature, uh, opening the doors for them to test their faith, but walking together with them relationally, open to the conversation, recognizing that, as Waverly said earlier, their faith is not going to get their kids by. Their kids' faith is what's going to get them by. And it's the testing of our faith that produces endurance. Um, and as James tells, James 1 tells us, it's, it's not all the smooth sailing that's going to give us endurance or maturity. And there are no characters in the scriptures that we really know well that their faith is not severely tested. And so we should expect much the same, yet at the same time be prepared for it. So, you know, that is, I think, um, Steve, to, you know, go directly at your your observations there. That's the only way our kids are going to survive the future. And frankly, it's the only way we're going to survive. Well, guys, uh, you got any kind of like a websites, any kind of place where they can find your your books, your work, your your stuff you're putting out? Well, the best place to go is Amazon, and you can find Searching for Proof and Faith there. Um, and we've just been thrilled. Uh, we've been named uh, a couple other categories, and we're uh, certainly thankful to get, get to see that underway and see the popularity of the book growing. Um, and uh, uh, so... Go look it up, Searching for Proof and Faith uh, by Waverly Coward or Hasty Coward. So uh, that'd be a great place to go. Thank you. Well, have you guys got anything you want to say in closing before we sign off? I would just encourage parents and uh, your teenager who's watching this or listening to this podcast, um, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Um, if you're a parent who having a teenager who's asking hard questions, don't be afraid of that. That's, that's a really good sign. It's a really good sign if they're asking you in particular. But um, if they're asking the Lord, like, what exactly does it mean for me to have faith in a good God when the world, my school life is so awful. People are so mean or I've been bullied on social media. Um, you know, what is that? What exactly does that mean? So I would just, and especially in particular with this revised um, uh, chapter that we've, we've added a new chapter in the revised book um, with the gender and stuff. Um, I, I would encourage parents to be really up to date. Um, really arm yourself with really arm yourself with wisdom. And, and I would say arm yourself with peers, fellow parents who believe sound doctrine when it comes to uh, all the questions that surround LGBTQ movement. So um, it's good to have an army people praying for your kids and an army of people who are speaking the truth into their kids, into your child's peers. So good inner circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and by the way, uh, the chapter with the longest bibliography and the most resources is the chapter on the LBGTQ question. So there's lots of good resources there for parents yeah. to go to and, and video, you know, videos and, and podcasts and 
uh, and books to, to refer to. Well, I would just uh, end by saying, Justin, how much, I, again, I really do appreciate the work that you and Steve and Ben have done together with the dig. Really what we're about here in this book is digging deeper, not yeah. just allowing things to, to fester without addressing them. So in any case, thanks so much for giving us time with you tonight. Yes, thank you. We loved it. Yeah. You got to dig deep and get those roots deep or you ain't going to withstand the storm. That's, that's exactly right. Well, everybody out there, keep on digging. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Don't be like a county worker. Get in that hole and dig some. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our YouTube channel. See ya.